welcome to episode two of season one of what we hope are many seasons of They're Real with Amy and Dana. I'm Amy. <laughs> I'm Dana. And uh, we have recorded one episode of this podcast so far and uh, haven't gotten a ton of feedback, but the feedback we did get was a little less giggling, so... <laughs> Um, so that is advice. No, we're going to give you more substantive things to giggle about this week. The word giggle is really yucky. Yeah. Like it's, I know. it made me uncomfortable. So I'll try to say that less too, but, uh, a little less of cracking yourselves up. Today's topic is confidence. And we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to use Dana's expertise as a psychotherapist and eternal seeker of confidence yes. to uh, figure out, to, to unlock confidence. How, how in the hell do you get it? But first of all, what's going on? What's new? I was trying to think, actually, because on my way over here, rushing over here, what um, what my stress du jour is. And I think that it's just been one of those weeks that like I'm going and going. I feel like from the minute that I wake up till the minute that I go to sleep that I'm just trying to juggle everything, manage everything. My kids have a lot going on. We have college applications. She has college applications to get out. We are hustling and running and trying to meditate and be present and be mindful. And it's like, just in one of these overwhelmed kind of phases, but I may always be like that. Yeah, it's, I think that's kind of the whole New York City parent thing. Like, I don't know anybody who's not like that. Um, I I keep forgetting to meditate. Oh, <laughs> so, you'd be so yeah. much better off. In I know, I know. Don't I seem calm? Yeah, you do. Yeah. You seem grounded and centered yeah. and you're not flailing. Yeah. Okay. So that was a sarcastic, yeah, for those of you that couldn't read the deadpan expression. Um, I had some really cool experiences this week that were really fun amidst all the running around and craziness. Uh, I got to go see Brian Stevenson, who... Uh, is the author of this book called Just Mercy, and he is a defense lawyer for people on death row. Mm. Yeah, I know. And uh, I know it sounds like, oh my God, that sounds really heavy. And it was heavy, but there were so many things that he spoke about that gave me hope and gave me energy mentally to kind of keep doing things uh, that I think of as positive and not get to that point of cynicism of being like, oh, it's not going to change anyway, so why do anything? So uh, it was it was very inspiring. And everything that he did to inspire was through telling stories, which I thought was ah, was cool. That is. And where did you see him? I saw him at my synagogue. Uh, it was part of the movement that they have at my synagogue to um, to address racial justice issues. Wow. Oh, that sounds fascinating and makes me regret that I blew off a women's leadership conference last night because I was too overwhelmed. Yeah. Because I think attending those kinds of things makes you, are inspiring and do kind of reignite your own passion and remind you of what you believe in and give you good vocabulary words. I always <laughs> like writing down a couple of zingers, $5 words. Gems. Yes. I know but, Dana already this morning has said perseverate several times uh, and I've been envious. I haven't used that word very often. Yeah, but I love words. I love even if I don't know what they mean, sometimes I just insert them just to sound smart. Just if you can. Yeah. I get that uh, email word of the day. Really? Do you get that? No. Uh, it's this guy, Anu Garg. I think he I think he might be based in Seattle, but um, he has a thing that's word of the day. And, you know, he has a theme every week, like things you didn't know there were words for or 
words that come from people's names and they're really fun. You know, some of them I know and that makes me feel smug. Mm -hmm. And then other ones I, I think, oh, that's that's a crazy word. And some of them I send to my kids, you know, if they have to do with poop or something just to get them interested in vocabulary. <laughs> so uh, it's called word of the day and it's really, it's delightful. And then other people at the end of the week, there's a digest and they write in about their experiences with those words, usually around the Korean War, World War One. No, <laughs> you know, they're just, they're older. No, oh. they're not really older and they're not World War One And... They're okay, not it's, not all, <laughs> it's not all going to be PC, guys. Uh, it's going to suck. But we're old, so uh, we're, we're ones to talk. Um, hey, I was around for Vietnam. How about you? I guess I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I was, we were alive for Vietnam, even though you don't know you were. And I remember I had these imaginary friends or imaginary people. I had a husband named Flag, and <laughs> and he was off fighting in Nam, oh. and uh, yeah. And then I had, which I know the name Flag. It's a little on the nose, <laughs> and I'm sorry for my three and four year old self. And then I had kids named Body and Jack, my two Aww. sons. Um, I don't know. I think I think my parents had the news on an awful lot, and I probably, I don't know that. I probably knew things I shouldn't have known. Yeah, but you were an incredibly attuned, imaginative kid. I was just in my head all the time. <laughs> I don't think the TV could have been on, and I would have had no idea. I don't know. Thank you. That's spacey. a nice thing to say. Yeah, I consider myself spacey too. So. What else? Anything else going on? I don't know. So that was that was an inspiring thing that uh, could have. This guy was such a rock star, you mm. know. He didn't have a single uh or you know or any of the things that you'll be hearing from us over the next fifty <laughs> minutes. <laughs> he didn't giggle. So let's. I don't know. Should we dive into the topic? I think that we should, because there's so much to say about this confidence. Uh, it seems like everybody's always saying, be confident. It's so important to be confident. But I was wondering, from your perspective as a practicing psychotherapist uh, and person who has advice for people around parenting and does a lot of speaking on that, is there some kind of clinical definition of confidence or way that people measure it? What is it? I think that there, I'm sure that there are definitions, and I think that it probably even varies depending on the area that one is talking about. But if we were to think just generally, just so that we have like a springboard from which to discuss, that um, that it really is a belief in in oneself or one's ability to succeed, I think. And it's... Um, there's one of those ums that that author would not have said. Right. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Maybe I don't have confidence. But um, <laughs> this whole episode is going to be a seesaw of that. I have a feeling. Yeah, I I'm have confident. a feeling. I'm confident. I'm not confident. I'm confident. Well, I, am I too confident? Oh, my God. And like, that is, that is, I think, a lot of what confidence is about is, is it accurate? That are the things that we feel certain about ourselves or that we feel really... Um, self-assured about or that we feel are our truths and therefore can feel confident in them um, or beliefs that we have or beliefs in our competence is um, make us feel confident as I say it with a question mark (laughs) I think but I think that it It's also, I sometimes, I think about self-deprecation a lot, and it's something that I use a lot, and sometimes, I think in my more confident moments, I think I'm confident enough to be self-deprecating, that I can laugh at myself because I know deep down that I'm okay. And then other times, I think that I'm self-deprecating because I'm not confident that somebody is going to... um, that my listener or my friend or whoever it is that I'm talking to, my patient, is going to judge me. And so if I preemptively self-deprecate, then at least I get a point for knowing 
like what my flaw is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it does vary. Um, I don't think anyone is confident all the time. And if they are, I think they're in denial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, I mean, I think of you as a, a master of self-deprecation. Like you're so good at it. An overuser at times. I've tried to, even a therapist has told me it's no longer charming. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> so. But I've, I've been curious about it because, about your use of it, because I'm one, I guess I've always wondered what's, what's behind it. Like, is it, is it kind of an charming thing or is it a fishing thing or is it a I'll get me before you can get me yes. like how sincere is it I guess is what I'm asking yourself deprecation or do you know or is I this too personal oh no go to it no I no I do always know I always know that I'm using it um using it or or um but I think that it varies in the moment. I don't think that it is fishing for compliments because I think that I would actually, that makes me feel really gross. But um, it's, it is a little bit more like I'll, I'll get you before you get me. And, um, and I think it comes from having been surrounded by really critical, judgmental people um, a lot of my life that I just thought, I'd hate to be the one being talked about. So at least if I know it already, then I can preempt the criticism or judgment. And I do think it's funny though. It too. is. It I is. It's hilarious. It's, um, and I think, and I do love people who can laugh at themselves because I do think that most of us are sort of a combo platter anyway. So if you can see both sides of whatever it is that you're saying, I think there's something fun about that. I love describing people as combo platters, first of all, because it's related to food, yes. and so that's yes. great, um, but also it's true, nobody's nobody's just one thing. I mean, I guess a couple questions, first of all, one, one effect of your self-deprecation, I find, is that it always makes me feel good about myself, like, oh, she's putting herself down so much that it raises me up a little bit mm-hmm. and that feels weird to admit, but it, it's, it's kind of strategic in that way because, um, because I always like being around you because I always feel good <laughs> about myself, but good. at the same time, I don't, you know, when you self deprecate, I never believe that you're anything less than smart, beautiful, put together, successful, um, you know, <laughs> oh, my self-deprecation has been affected. <laughs> You're thinking all the things I want you to think. <laughs> You're like the Yoda of, I don't know, you used the force on me. It worked somehow. No, but but I do think of you as all those things, but I guess that maybe it's a form of humility or something that, because there is this thing where, I think especially if you're a woman and you get too confident, people people get a little freaked out by that. Totally. And I think that also one thing that women, females um, guard against a lot is envy. And I think that the idea that you could make somebody or engender envy in someone else is ultimately going to result in your demise. Either they're going to abandon you or reject you or not like you or kill you off or you probably read the Shakespeare plays that are rooted in envy. Um, which ones? No. I mean, I, I might know, have, but my memory. The type to have. Callers, call in. Oh, wait, it's not a radio show. <laughs> but I. Think but no, I've had that experience of like, don't get too big or people will crush you. Yes. They yes. hate that. Yes. And it makes you think of, you know, am I getting big on my merits or is it confidence that's getting me big? But I've, I've been in those situations where people uh, try to crush me. And, you know, it's like, okay, do I just go away softly or do I keep doing what I'm doing and figure that this is your problem? But, you know, it can become my problem if in, a, in some work situations if somebody is really, 
really trying to bring me down. Yes. So it, it's not cool, and it's very, it's very unpleasant. And I actually think that you, I think of you as a confident person. Like, I think that you have a lot of confidence in your intelligence and in your, um, I don't know, likability and in your humor and in being clever and pithy. I like the word pithy. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, thanks. thanks. Um, <laughs> and I think that... Um, and I oftentimes am intim- like I get intimidated by all that you know. I think that you have a lot of knowledge and <laughs> like about the Vietnam War and <laughs> that we lived through. Yes, that. And I- then I make sarcastic, crappy remarks like that <laughs> well, uh, to just drive the point home. You already said it. Geez, Amy, enough. <laughs> I only do this because she's family. Uh, for those of you who didn't hear season one, episode one, Dana is the brother. No, is the sister. <laughs> Dana is the sister of my first cousin's husband. And so we consider ourselves cousins or something in law. And so, and so I talk to her more like family, which is horrible for her because the way that my family talks to each other is really, oof. Oh, really? Oh, my God. The yeah. Industry. Like, my, I mean, this is my kind of confidence backstory in a way, is that my my family is just really sarcastic and cutting all the time, and, you know, they think it's funny, and a lot of times growing up, it hurt my feelings, and but I, I feel like I can't say that or they'll be like oh come on listen up you know where's your sense of humor (laughs) so there's that and and I'm just used to people talking to me pretty critically and harshly about you know my clothes and about my you know choices and, and stuff so which which is fine, whatever. It's, it's all worked out. Okay. So I think that I'm, I have to be kind of confident, find it for myself. And I think some of it is nature, not nurture. And I, I set goals and do things that I want to do, but it's not because my parents said to me, Oh, Amy, you're so great. You're so amazing. That, Uh That was not my experience. But did you feel like you were, like, unconditionally loved? Oh, yes. Oh. Definitely. And adored. Definitely. And they think that you're wonderful? I felt like I was unconditionally loved and adored, but not that they ever thought I was that wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, I don't know. It's probably enough to be uh, loved and adored, I think. But, you know, I we're different. That's okay. I was going to say something else about this, but I can't remember what. You're different from your parents? Yeah, yeah. And I just have made, you know, more artistic, risky choices until I got married. And then suddenly I was doing fine in in their eyes. Oh, I know what I was going to say is that my mom said to me, has said to me several times over the years, everything that you've gotten in life, has been because of your personality. And I used to think that that was such an insult because, you know, women are, we're not supposed to have personalities. We're supposed to be pretty. (laughs) Oh, that's what she meant? I don't know what she meant. I think that's a little bit of what she meant. Uh, And it was, the way she said it, it felt like it was kind of a diss, like, like a, like, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, but I, I have over time, I've come to see it as a compliment. Actually, like, yeah, what else is there? You know, like, especially the vain. older <laughs> I get. You know, at fifty, like, if I'm still getting things because of my looks, like, that's gonna, yeah, come to a crashing halt <laughs> extremely soon. So, um, huh. so I kind of have have started embracing that and said, yeah, it's your personality. Work it, girlfriend. Yeah. But that's a little bit like when people set someone else up on a date, and if they say, like, oh, she has a great personality, isn't that code it's, for... She's a 3-2. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Like, she's a 3 also. Oh. Like, you're you're kind of homely, she's kind of <laughs> homely, but she's got a great personality. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. 
I shouldn't have used two numbers, like three, two. That's what I think made that confusing. Well, yes, but I, and I don't know if it necessarily, I mean, that's a whole, (laughs) it's a whole other podcast about like, what if someone's setting up a man, it isn't necessarily like looks based, but like the woman is supposed to be more attractive. I think, or there's more emphasis on their appearance, I think, but that's... It depends how old the guy is and how many other assets he has. I'm being realistic, even though I don't like that the world always works that way, but damn it, it's true. Um, Yeah, but that is interesting, and so, and I like the idea that you've embraced your personality and that you value your personality and you have confidence about your personality, that you're... Well, because my mom said it, that it gets me things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what got you this podcast yeah, yeah that and learning software and bugging you you don't bug me but you know like all i all we had to do was a meeting invite i don't know okay. but yeah we we got this podcast by dint of ourselves our personality it certainly was it's not continuation <laughs> that's why it's a podcast <laughs> That's the new, she's got a face for radio that you see. She's got a face for podcasts. No live events, I'll tell you. Woo-wee. Woo. Ah. Okay. Um, so don't come see us live at South by Southwest. Um, so back to the subject and confidence well, yeah. I, yeah oh well i as you were talking i was actually thinking about because mothers and daughters are such a a podcast unto themselves but also how important parents are in being able to engender confidence in some way or thwart confidence and i think about it so much i mean you have two daughters i have one daughter and a son and i think so much about their confidence and how they feel about themselves and if they feel like they're able to do things, like if they feel like they're able, even if something is challenging, that they're able to um, have the confidence to know that they'll be able to figure it out or be able to access like resources to be able to figure it out. And that is so important to me. And I think also a lot about the ways that they're not confident or won't be confident in the future and if they'll attribute it to the way that they were raised, to their nurture and how I'm going to get blamed for that. Yeah, we're going to get blamed for a lot, so we just have to suck it up. But I do want to know, I think that's a great point that, you know, you want to engender in your kids this confidence by letting them know that they can figure things out, that they can get things done. How do you do that? Because that's actually a a challenge chez moi right now. Oui, oui. Oui. Uh, We're bilingual. (laughs) We forgot to tell you before. (laughs) And we can insert a little Yiddish, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Well, there you go. But it's funny because I was last minute looking at some articles just to get some ideas about engendering confidence in your kids. And I was reading an article, and one of them was talking about um, understanding what's important to your kids and praising them from the child's perspective. (laughs) As I read along and the article was saying how it's important to, before you say, oh, I'm so proud of you, like if they're potty training, for example, that you also want to say before you say, I'm so proud of you to say, how do you feel about that? Or are you proud of yourself? And as I was reading, I was thinking like, oh, cool, I do that. And then it says, uh, according to a New York City-based psychologist, Dr. Dorfman. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I must have contributed to that article, which was, this is just my own plug and braggery. Right, as you should, yeah. I was so pleased with myself to see my name in print and... So, um, but I do think that that is important to, to understand not, it, it is so important for kids to hear that we're proud of them or more importantly, that we're not disappointed in them. I Mm -hmm. think that that's the clincher for my kids and certainly was a clincher for me growing up was the idea of disappointing my parents was probably like the most awful feeling, but, um, 
but also instilling in them um, that what is important to them is important. That's sort of like to almost like value what they feel or validate what they feel, almost like that their internal experience is, this sounds so cheesy, but it's like that that their internal experience of of their experiences is important. And I think that that's what builds confidence is sort of like deep, deep in your soul that that is of value. It's not so much sort of what other people are going to say. It's really sort of that it, that you have a feeling deep within you that that is uh, valuable. I, don't know. I can't <laughs> think of the word. I keep using the same words. I should... Per- perseverance? Perseverance. No, I'm kidding. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, that's I, not the right word. But I, I get that idea that you're not saying, see, you you wore a dress that makes you look the way I want you to look, so I'm proud of you. Instead, say, you know, you look like you're expressing the you fully, and I'm proud of you. I mean, not that you'd be proud of your kid for their outfit or something. I but would be. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing that I value more than <laughs> actually. And if you got it on sale... All the best. Oh my oh, gosh! Yeah, such pride. Yeah, I, I yeah. Mm. Um, you guys should see Dana's pants right now. They are so cute. I don't know Thank what you. that pattern is, but they're they or, look a little bit like um, a curtain. They like do the, look like a curtain or a beautiful it. wallpaper. I'd never be able to afford. It's very kind of intricate. It's a it's a dusty blue and a, and a rich maroon and and white and it's just and pretty. I bought them on sale. And um, so you feel a lot of pride about that. Kind of. Yeah, I do really. I love these colors. but yeah. And I love a great outfit. And this idea, though, actually, of, were you going to, were you, did I cut you off mid? No, no, I just wanted the microphone to be unobstructed. Please oh, go thank on. You. I actually am thinking that it's also, though, like some kind of an important feedback loop. On the other hand, we are social creatures, so we do need the outside validation in some way that then we internalize that like reaffirms whatever it is that we believe too. Like if you leave the house, this doesn't happen that often where you're thinking like, you know what, I look really good today. You know, like I look, I I like the way that I look. And then somebody says, I love your pants, which I was not feeling this morning. Like I love the way I look, but it, but someone saying, I love your pants sort of reassures me then and gives me I think it does enhance confidence or it does reinforce it. It doesn't necessarily create it, but it is important to then get some kind of outside um, validation. And it's it's funny. I was talking to Daniel, my husband. I should probably use a pseudonym. Eh, whatever. You guys have Google. Um, <laughs> but I, I was talking to him this morning about confidence and, you know, he, we, we talked about this last week that he is, uh, did a career switch kind of late in the game and is two years into his new career post-training. And he talked about that, that process of gaining confidence in his abilities in his work and he really expressed it as something that was relational and something that that came from feedback from other people and it's interesting because uh in my career that you know that I had before what I'm doing now which I don't know what that is um I feel like I had to gain a lot of my confidence. I I didn't have as much of that feedback or mentoring after the first couple of years and feel like I had to kind of grow my skills and confidence based. I I had to like self uh, grow that in in a way. And then as I grew my confidence, my abilities, my competence increased as my confidence increased. Hmm. And hmm. I don't know. I, I think that that some of that may have been, uh, I, 
there's all kinds of factors for that. So so that's some I think that's possible to do, but it felt like an uphill climb in mm-hmm. some ways. Mm-hmm. No, it it's a it's sort of this delicate balance, I think, between like needing the affirmation or validation from the outside, feeling it within, getting it reinforced, and yeah, I'm having like having a whole series of thoughts that are converging. Um, the other thing I think a lot about too, and there's a lot of talk about narcissism right now and like, um, a distorted sense of confidence. And a lot of times patients will talk about when I'm trying to, I don't know, I guess, build them up or question their own self doubts in a way, um, that patients talk about that uh, the fear of being overconfident or feeling cocky or arrogant or something that they have some kind of fear about really feeling good about themselves and of course everybody's history is different and their experiences about self-assuredness are different but um but I think that that sort of what we were talking about before that I think that that comes into play a lot also the fear of being overconfident and and then it's seeming narcissistic that the sense of ourself is distorted or that we think something about ourselves but it's actually inaccurate which is a terribly uh shameful kind of feeling yeah do you do you find that there's any gender gap in that or? definitely oh yeah I so think- you think that the men are scared of looking to Confidence. I, yes, yes, Amy, that is what I think. No, I think that it's, a, yeah, that that is a largely female issue. I think that there, I think that females struggle more from a social standpoint about looking um, overly confident or thinking. Um, I had a friend who, who had an expression, she thinks who she is, which I think that she, which I understood what she meant, but it was a, more like she thinks that she's better than she is. And oh, that's funny. And, yeah, my my mom does a lot of that. Like she thinks she's so great or uh, about people. Or my favorite one of hers is that she she won't listen to NPR because she <laughs> thinks that those people act like they're world experts. And it's like, yeah, that's how they got on NPR because <laughs> they're world experts. I love you, mom. And but. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> yeah, and I think we are intimidated or turned off by people who act too expert. And so I should give them a tutorial on self-deprecation. Oh, yeah. Not so successful. So far. <laughs> Just don't let that therapist know about it. Well, um, I guess, you know, in my – so let, I haven't really talked about my – career prior to this. Um, but I do think that in the realms of confidence and competence, it's very relevant. Uh, the work that I was doing, um, and still do sometimes, uh, is, is consulting using practices of improvisational theater to help businesses with their collaboration and innovation and communication. And one of the big things that we do, and one of the things I love about that work is coaching people with public speaking and presentation giving and facilitation. Hmm. And obviously, one of the big things that makes a, a presentation sing is confidence. You know, that like they talk about this in stand up too. Both of these areas touch on this a ton. Um, that you make the audience feel how you feel. And so a lot of stand-up is summoning or doing an impression of a feeling and therefore sharing it with your audience. And so it works the same in, in presenting in a corporate environment where if you get up there and you're like, oh, I'm so nervous and, um, you know, I just got this deck from Jim and I didn't even, I didn't even make these slides. I, I don't even, you know, believe in our mission as a company. Like, you know, that that's going to go over really poorly. Whereas if you get up there and sell gym slides, even if you didn't make them, uh, and even if you think Jim's a loser, Jim, I'm so sorry. Um, 
then you, you know, then people are going to buy in a lot more. So you, you need to figure out how do I appear confident in giving a presentation or in stepping into a room or in an unfamiliar situation or a job interview or whatever. And, and I think that improv has some really good practical ways to help people do that because that's what improvisers do. Uh, they get up on a stage. They don't have a plan. They don't have a director. Uh, you know, sometimes they're a little lacking in talent. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, how, how do you make something together with other people under those uh, rigorous circumstances? It's very cool. And so here are two ideas that you can use, that you can practice with to get more confidence. So the first one is this idea called choose to be fit and well. Fit, like physically fit. Mm. Um, and the opposite of it is choose to be sick and feeble. So I think, you know, hearing about that opposite is... Uh, something that helps you understand this idea of fit and well. You do have a choice. You can either be sick and feeble or you can be fit and well. Mm. And you can kind of play with this in real life. Like if you're sick and feeble, you know, you're taking up as little, you can try this in your chair or your driver's seat uh, or wherever you are right now. <laughs> you know, you take up as little space as you can you don't make eye contact with other people. Uh, you might play with your face or your hair. Uh, you you just kind of shrink into yourself. And if you're listening to this with a friend, you could even put the thing on pause and go to that person and keep this this attitude and this physicality and have a conversation with them for 30 seconds and see what happens. And then come back. And try the opposite, which is fit and well, you know, throw your shoulders back, open your eyes wide, uh, sit up straight, take up space in, in your chair or standing and, and then get up and have another conversation with your podcast buddy. Who has a podcast buddy? I don't think anybody, but we anyway, do. oh, you do, you do family podcasts. Okay. We yeah. digress. So you know, you're going to have different conversations. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a different level of positivity when you encounter a situation that you walk into in a fit and well manner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that one of the things that held me back from this idea for a while was, was this thought, well, isn't that just fake it till you make it? Isn't that just, you know, smile and, and everybody else will smile too. And I, I think that for, for fit and well to be something really successful, you can take it one layer deeper. And, you know, at, for example, at, at any time, multiple things are going to be true. Like, uh, you may have not slept enough last night and you have a job interview today. Uh, you may um, have gotten fired from your last job. And so that makes you feel self-conscious walking into an interview. And at the same time, you may be really qualified for this job. You may be really excited about the company. And so choosing to be fit and well, it's really more about the act of the choice. Like, mm -hmm. where do you put your attention? Mm -hmm. And you can put it either on, I just got fired, oh my God, or you can put it on, hey, I'm really curious about this company and I have something to offer them. And mm -hmm. so uh, that's what I think makes this idea of making this choice different from pasting a smile on your face that's really phony. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it makes you dig a little deeper and sometimes that's hard, but um, I, I have to use this stuff a lot. Yeah, and I, I think it's so funny how um, this is kind of, I don't know if it's repackaged, but it's sort of similar concepts from a lot of different schools of thought, almost like the positive psychology movement mm -hmm. and um, Martin's, I think Martin's, uh, whatever, Seligman is yeah, his last name. Yeah, I think Martin's right. Martin Seligman, and a nice Jewish guy. <laughs> and, um, and, and a lot of that kind of... Um, 
mentality and that psychology is sort of similar to that. And also there's this book, which I bet you've read by Amy Cuddy. Cuddy. Yeah, yeah. Presence, which also I think suggests similar kinds of concepts and also that there is something that happens almost physiologically that when mm-hmm. you're standing straight and taking up room and um, positioning yourself a certain way, something happens almost neurologically, which helps you feel um, differently. So um, it isn't just an act, but there's also something physiological or neurological that's happening, which I think um, there's probably some of that mirror neuron stuff about, you know, if you're trying to make other people feel what you feel, uh, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get somehow to the place where you feel good. I, if you haven't watched it, that Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y TED talk, uh, is, is really fantastic about power poses. And, you know, there was some controversy about her research and everything, but it doesn't matter what, what those controversies were, because I know so many people who have been helped by her stuff that, you know, you can, I don't know, bellyache about her methodology till you're blue in the face, but the stuff works. Yeah. Oh, it definitely does. And I really do believe all of the, the positive psychology literature as well. It makes it does make a lot of sense and that there are multiple truths at any one time and that you can decide which truth you want to attend to and which you want to evoke or right. um and in yourself make. and yes. in others. Yes. So I I don't know very much about positive psychology. Like what's how would you explain it to, say, a dummy who was sitting next to you podcasting? That's me being self-deprecating. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I'm about to be even more self-deprecating, which is it's too early in the morning for me to <laughs> develop a succinct, um, although I have read three or four books about it, which then makes me an expert on it. I just can't explain it. But okay. it is. But there is a lot to be said for it isn't just like thinking happy thoughts. It is a lot about focusing and making choices about how you want to think. Because a lot of times we live by these old antiquated narratives that are oftentimes negative and sort of like the one that you were describing about yourself before. And that we we can choose to think differently because we may we may know that one thing about ourselves and we may know many other things about ourselves and we can choose to focus on one and act accordingly. And if you choose the more positive one, you're more apt to um, kind of lead yourself to a more positive direction. That I know that's totally abstract and unhelpful. No, well, like I can give an example. Thanks. Like I could focus on the fact that having a great personality means that I don't have a great face, or I could focus on the fact that um that I do have a great personality and, you know, my face has worked well enough to get it's me what beautiful. I want. I You're love I I like it. I yeah. yeah, whatever. Okay. So, um one other quick practical tip from the world of presenting about creating confidence where there is none is this magical weird tip which is uh about volume cranking up your Mm. volume. So most people think that they talk louder than they do. I mean, nobody's ever really said to me, you're so loud, but, but I think I'm kind of a quiet talker actually, especially when I'm nervous. But it, most people ask somebody else for feedback, like do your presentation voice, ask somebody else on a scale of one to 10, how loud do you think I am? Almost without fail, people think they're a seven or an eight and they're a four or a five. And if you're presenting or even if you're in a meeting and want to appear more confident, I would urge you to get yourself up to a nine or ten. I'm kind of doing it now. I'm talking louder than my natural talking, but really what I mean with volume, it's like a proxy for energy. And so I'm really not being that loud, at least according to the little waveforms on the computer that I'm looking at as my voice is coming out. But I do have more energy and breath behind my voice because I'm focused on projecting it out Mm. at a nine or a 10. Mm. And so 
that's another thing that I've seen just transform people, ground them, make them appear more confident, more expert. Uh, being chill isn't always super cool. A lot of people think, you know, oh, I'm so laid back, like I'm doing comedy, you know, leaning on the wall. And, and it's like that's not what you want your audience to feel. You want them to lean forward to you. So lean forward to them. Show up. Hmm. That's so interesting. I don't know if our listeners are going to learn from this, but I have. Oh, good. (laughs) And that might be why you keep telling me to move my mouth closer to the microphone. No, it's really the waves on the computer. It has, yeah. Well, I'm trying to be really chill. You're so chill, man. It's awesome. But um, that is really helpful. And I'm going to think about it and also deal with my own fear about feeling as if I'm talking too loudly because I think that that would be what would inhibit someone. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, there is so much more to say on this topic that I can't even stand it. But we're at 51 minutes and uh, we want to respect the world's time and make this not too much of a blah, blah, blah. Although I think this has been very high value. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Um, So let's see. Do we want to – I also really want to dig more deeply into gender with this because mm-hmm. my experience in the workplace has been that as a woman, if you're confident, people really – have allergic reactions to it and if you're a man you get a promotion mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, I for those of you who are curious about this from a humorous point of view um, I would like to recommend a book that's coming out in two weeks uh, it's by the hilarious Sarah Cooper who already wrote a book called uh, 100 tips for looking smart in meetings That might not be the exact title, but she's also the author behind The Cooper Review. And her next book is gonna is gonna really, I don't know, you're gonna love the title as much as I do, I think. It's called How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings. (laughs) And it comes with all kinds of things like ideas. I don't know if it's actual stickers, but there are stickers that you can give to men to support them in supporting <laughs> you. Like, congratulations for not having the company offsite at a strip club. Uh, I think this woman's a genius. And uh, she's a, an a comedian. Ex, she's a comedian, an ex-Googler, a writer, a presenter, and just a all-around cool woman. But that's not going to be my, no, you have to for this week because now we've come to that section. No, you have to. So do you have one? I have one. I feel a little bit self-conscious about it. Here's my self-deprecation. But I highly recommend AirPods. Do you have them? AirPods? I call them AirPods, and my kids are always like, they're AirPods, Mom. Do you have them? Uh, I've asked for them for my birthday. I do like birthday presents. (laughs) And they are wireless headphones. Yeah. They have – I really think they've saved my life. There is nothing – more frustrating to me than when I'm running or exercising and I'm dealing with the many, many wires on the headphones. That drives me crazy and ends up frustrating me and almost um, undoing whatever kind of like stress release I've been trying to do. And um, and I sleep with them and listen to my meditation. Um, oh, Wow. Without choking yourself on a cable. Without choking myself. My ears hurt a little bit in the morning because I don't think you're supposed to keep them in all night, but whatever. And I never hear my alarm clock. And also they're great for the subway because that too is so annoying to me when I have, when I'm connected to my iPhone, I'm trying to listen to other people's podcasts and the wire keeps becoming disconnected and things like that. I absolutely love these things and they've been worth every penny, I think. My birthday's in November. (laughs) Okay. Um, He knows. Okay. So um, my, no, you have to, is no, you have to go see the movie A Star is Born. This movie, I put all my hopes for joy and redemption into the release of this movie on October 5th. And I finally got to go see it. uh, And it was 
it was so great. It was so many close-ups and it was so beautiful and the music was so great. And I know a lot of people say that Lady Gaga's character wasn't as fully developed as Bradley Cooper's. And I agree with that. Of course, she didn't get a last name until the very end when she married him and got his. But here's the thing that I loved about it as a feminist parable. Now, one of the things that we've noticed in this self-confidence podcast is that if a woman rises up too high, uh, and we also saw this in the Kavanaugh hearings, or if she threatens a man's power, he's just going to crush her (laughs) and he's just going to decimate her and make her go away and destroy her. Um, I'm sorry, Christine Blasey Ford, you... You're like a heroine. Hero. Hero. Hey, yeah, heroine. Heroine. Um, <laughs> <Good word. laughs> I'm so mad at them. So, but what happens in this movie is a woman starts rising above the man who also lifted her up in the first place, who saw her talent, who brought her forward and she starts rising up and then she starts exceeding him and and he has a hard time dealing with it. And she says, oh, no, that's that's not what we're doing here. Like, don't be jealous of me. Don't slow my rule. And then um, he keeps having a hard time with her success. And then he has the good sense to, uh, let's just say, if he, he can't stand the heat, he gets out of the kitchen. And so in the end, she was not crushed. She... Mm was able to persevere and continue to shine as the star that she was. And it just, it's Hollywood, it's romance. Mm. I have a performance thing. It just, Mm. it Mm. took me away. It was beautiful. Ah, that's so good to know. Okay. Anything else? I uh, don't have anything else to say. Okay, I don't either. We have absolutely nothing to say. And with this, we bid you au revoir. Thanks for listening.